0: Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForge, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur.
1: Everyone, welcome back to On the Up and Up. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today. So Megan, or Meg, is a founder and I guess CEO of Born to Rome, Bookkeeping It's so funny to use that terminology, but I never really know which way to go, but I want... I'm just really excited for everyone to meet Megan because we've had so much interaction over the years. I feel like it's one of those rare relationships that's just kind of like built over time that you meet on the internet and have had so many like back and forth and funny conversations and stuff like that. And so I was so excited to bring you on to Up and Up so that you could tell us a little bit more about your business, what you do, and just your journey as a whole. So Let's kick it off. Why don't you introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about your villain origin story or essentially where you came from and why you started your business?
2: Yeah. So thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. My name is Meg and I'm, like Kira mentioned, the founder of Born to Rome Bookkeeping. And we started in 2021 kind of on a whim. I have like an interesting way that I found like the idea to start a bookkeeping business Back in 2020, I actually was one of the people that got laid off during like the initial scare of COVID. And they laid off, our company laid off 25% of the workforce. And I was only there for six months. So I was the first on the chopping block, brand new position. And that really rocked me. I did not like that feeling of the rug getting ripped out underneath me and feeling like I had zero control over anything. It just felt very. Vulnerable at the time, and so I had like a midlife crisis, quarter life crisis, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. And I was like, "What am I going to do?" I ended up just like feeling very lost, and so I ended up getting another job right away. Luckily, um, even though we were bringing in the COVID cash at the time <laughs> on <laughs> unemployment, I am such a busy body that i unemployment was not was not the life for me. And I ended up reading a book called uh, The Business Boutique. And it's, um, this is The Business Boutique? Yeah, by Christy Wright. And it's all, just all about women starting businesses. And I was just like, I kind of want to start a business, but I don't know what it is. And then I ended up finding a friend in the online space who was doing bookkeeping. And so I kind of was just like, I could do that. I could do bookkeeping. And me and my husband, we actually got married in 2020. And our photographer, yeah, we did. We we had an outdoor, small, intimate wedding, and um, me and my husband are both CPAs. And so when my wedding photographer found that out, she was like, "You've got to help me with my stuff. Like I'm a hot mess, and I definitely need some help." And at the time, I was thinking that she wanted help with her taxes because everybody, you know, hates taxes. And my background mm-hmm. is actually in corporate tax. And I did not want to go back there, but I ended up going back to my wedding photographer a couple months after our wedding. And I was like, Hey, so like, what, what did you need help with exactly? Cause I'm thinking of starting a bookkeeping business and would love for you to be my first client um, and basically help you prepare for tax time. Cause I think there's just this huge disconnect between the operations of the business and, you know, this big, scary, usually your dad's CPA (laughs) They just like, they expect you to have all this, you know, documentation together. And they're just like, I don't know what you need. I think this is it. And um, oftentimes they're missing out on a lot of deductions and aren't really doing things compliant. Um, And so that's kind of how the origins, like how the business came to be. Um, And at the time I, for a while I ran my business while working a nine to five, still Um, wanting to to create like a solid financial foundation for the future, but also knowing that I wanted to have kids and have more freedom of my time and things like that. Um, But the, I guess it all originated from me getting laid off in 2020.
1: I mean, you have like the quintessential 2020 story. You have the (laughs) wedding and the layoff and the new job and the unemployment, the COVID cash. All of yeah. that stuff. So I feel like I'm sure when people are like, in 2020, I had this happen. You're like, check. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did that too. Um, I love how you were talking about how it was somebody that you were, you know, kind of using their services. So like, especially in the wedding industry, like I remember when we got married, it was a while ago now. But I was like, gosh, I could really optimize the crap out of this person's business. Like, <laughs> it's a disaster. But of yeah. course, like five years go by. Like, I never thought anything of it. But the wedding pros are such a unique and creative group of people. Do you primarily niche into that category or what has informed like the way that you've decided who you're helping along the way?
2: We serve women, like 100% women. That's just kind of how it came to be um, over time, but we don't have a specific niche per se outside of just service-based female-owned businesses. We serve wedding planners, you know, coaches. I just got off a call with somebody who owns a franchise. Um, so there's kind of just like a wide variety of, of female-owned service-based businesses. But um, yeah, so we, we like serving all in all the industries. Yeah,
1: I'm the same way. I like to like not have to like categorize into one thing. So I get that. Yeah. There's always so much discussion about whether or not you should choose just one industry to work with. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I mean, for us, it's more about the systems and how they are, um, like collecting payments and we're looking at it solely from the financial side of things. And most of the time, a lot of service-based businesses are operating similarly, or we can, you know, kind of tweak our process slightly to adapt to them, um, we enjoy working with like the health and wellness industry a lot. So we have, you know, dieticians and other wellness pros and profesh- like professionals. I'm kind of more like a holistic, I'm a, I'm a crunchy-ish person. So I really enjoy working with people who have like these cool like holistic programs that help uh, female, you know, I had a call last week with a pelvic floor physical therapist who helps, you know, pre and postpartum women Virtually, which is really interesting and cool and needed. and there's just, yeah, so it's cool helping and working with other females who are helping other females. Um, so that's kind of just how it's evolved,
1: yeah. I've noticed that a lot of the businesses that we work with is primarily women. I mean, we have like an occasional man here and there. Um, but primarily it's it's really fun to talk to women about the way that they decide to build their businesses, because it originates from such a different way than men usually. Like it's more about like a really primal, like obvious, but unanswered need, like just mm-hmm. how you were mentioning that pelvic floor therapist, like it's like the needs of women are really highlighted in the unique value propositions of the businesses. And that's why we like to work with different industries too. Cause it's fun to see like how, People are showing up as CEOs and as entrepreneurs. So when it comes yeah. to money, so just to start out, like, I want to talk a little bit about some of the fears that people encounter when they're hiring a bookkeeper for the first time. So I just want to say that I was totally that person. I love working with money. I've been a COO for almost 11 years now, so I'm always in the back end of the finances. And it was it's a totally different thing when it's your own business and you have to deal with all of the money things all of the time. And I mean, just to kind of, you're not our bookkeeper, but what the very first week that we hired a bookkeeper, she found $2,000 that I needed so badly for payroll that week. And it was like the great, I was like, this is the right move so besides the obvious things like that where you can find money basically where there were there was none um what are some other so she paid for herself for a whole year basically um (laughs) what are some of the reasons that people are afraid to hire bookkeepers and how do you how do you assuage those fears how do you help them to get past them especially when you're working with people the first time
2: yeah I think it kind of goes back to serving females I think Historically, we've been made to feel like less than or silly or stupid or it Ill- look like not equipped or um, so a lot of times they're, they're nervous to ask questions. And so I guess the first thing we do is always normalize, you know, you're in the position that a lot of people are in and it's, you know, not fun to feel very lost in your numbers. But a lot of people are feeling the way that you feel before getting help. Um, so I guess just normalizing it is the biggest thing, but also, um, letting them know, like, it doesn't have to be that way. Like once we work together, we will, you know, create a system that feels very, um, what do you call it? Like, I can't even think of the word right now. (laughs) It feels very easy for you and seamless and kind of break down that wall of like, I can't do this because a lot of people are just, the numbers just are, are not their thing, and that's totally fine. Like you are, you might be that great at operations or marketing or, um, all the other areas of business that you have to do. So finances is just one thing that you can choose to outsource and have somebody, you know, educate and equip you to help you in managing your finances, but you don't need to necessarily know how to do every little thing. Cause you didn't go to school for that. I did. And I've spent my time in corporate doing all of that so that I can help other females who, Maybe that isn't their strongest suit.
1: Yeah, there's something really nice about a, a non-judgmental person helping you with your money. Like, I feel like that's not something that we've been told is okay. Like, my mom has like horrible stories about like her like going into a CPA or a bookkeeper, whoever was doing her and my stepdad's money, and being like, hey, like. I think you're confused like my mom's the breadwinner like she has her own business you know it was kind of like I don't I don't I don't know why you're talking to him like I'm floating the boat over here you know like very like judgmental and condescending and I was actually raised like I think you talk about this a little bit but like the not your dad's bookkeeper like not your mom's bookkeeper not your parents bookkeeper like that's so important because I feel like the judgment that comes from those people or the predispositions or even like I've had interactions with our tax person originally now that we don't use them anymore, but it was like really disheartening and like discouraging. Like, it's like, Oh, well, you never know how good your business is going to do next year. So like, let's just leave it as it is for now. And it's like, that's not my intention. Like, I'm not trying to like, this isn't just some fun little game that I'm playing for one year. Like I want somebody that's going to help me to prepare for this. And Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, that's a big difference there. But you also have this background in as a CPA. So how does that help you to see finances a little bit differently than your traditional bookkeeper? Not that there's anything wrong with those bookkeepers, but like your traditional bookkeeper that maybe doesn't have the tax knowledge.
2: Yeah. So I think the unique part about working with a bookkeeper who also has that background in tax is that we... Are preparing the books not only for you so we're going to be breaking down you know your service by offer type instead of just you know lumping it all into sales We'll, you know if if you're traveling a lot maybe we'll break out your traveling into some subcategories so you can see how much you're spending on transportation versus airfare things like that so we're preparing the books for you as a ceo but also for the tax person so We're separating out certain things that we know that they are going to want to see that maybe are not tax deductible or um, that they are going to need to see separately from just like a big, you know, fat account full of supplies, but some of that might not be necessarily um, deductible. So we really like to partner with our client CPAs too. So we will communicate as like a cohesive team between us as the bookkeepers, them preparing the taxes and the client so that they're in the know. And I think the biggest thing that I always want my clients to have knowledge of is what their tax people are doing. Um, And so I think that that's kind of the cool part about having a separate bookkeeper from your tax person is that we're kind of there to prompt you to ask questions that maybe they're not, you don't know to ask and they're not telling you. So you're having this additional person in the mix who has the background in tax and who knows the questions that you should be asking and maybe some flags that should be addressed. Um, and ultimately, you need to be comfortable with what they're reporting. And so because as a taxpayer, you know, we're the ones responsible for what they're reporting, even if they're signing off in the tax return, so are you. And so that's the biggest thing I like to tell my clients is like, this stuff kind of sucks, but we need to at least understand what they're doing. <laughs> you don't need to necessarily know the ins and outs of every little detail that we're doing as your bookkeeper or that they're doing as a tax people. But you should have a general knowledge and understanding of what they're doing as the business owner.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that the money stuff is the part of business that stresses me out the most. I know for many people, they're like, no, Kira, we're listening to your HR podcast because the people are stressing us out. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't, it's stressful no matter what. But like, I feel like with the money stuff, it really sets like a foundation of possibility and you can really see like where you can go, and it helps you to make decisions. And I don't think I knew that about bookkeepers, especially prior to interacting with people like you. And like, even my bookkeeper, like, as much as I love her, like, there's definitely moments where I'm like, I don't know what questions to ask or, you know, what mm-hmm. to dive into. Or like, you know, sometimes I'll get a little slap on the wrist for something, you know, but besides <laughs> that, it's, I really like that she's not that judgmental. But I know that I want to switch gears a tiny bit and talk about your background. So working in corporate and working with different types of leaders and bosses and in short periods and long periods, can you talk to us a little bit about that kind of trajectory and what you learned from your favorite boss that you may have had prior to starting your own business?
2: Yeah, I think I saw a, on your story one time, you were asking like the best and worst boss stories or something like that. I really liked that question uh, because I had two um I hope they don't listen to this podcast but I've had two (laughs) bosses that um one I really look up to a lot and I actually had reached out to when I hired my first employee and I asked him I was like did you read any books or like take a course or like what did you do because you are like the best manager I ever had and we're still friends he was actually the one who laid me off ironically enough my favorite boss I only got to work with him for six months (laughs) um <laughs> but he was just so great. I think it came down to just he he cared about me as a person and wanted to develop me. And one of the things he always said was, "I am." It felt like he was on my team and not the company's team. Like he was there to develop me as a person. He wanted to promote me. He wanted to give me a raise. Already only working there for six months, um, he had like I guess a genuine interest in developing me as a professional. And the thing he always said was, I'm not training you or like investing in you to um, get you to the next level because I don't want you to leave. I'm preparing you for when you do need to leave. So it was like the expectation is that, like, you're, you know, maybe going to outgrow the position. Like, there's going to be an opportunity, and I want you to be equipped with the experience and the education and the knowledge, the tools, all the things, so that you're ready to take that leap into that promotion, at, even if it is with another company and that always stood out to me because you don't really hear that often you know people want you to stay and now being an employer i'm like i want everybody to stay with me but at the same time like that that statement is always in the back of my head about you know i want to train and equip this person to be able to leave eventually like if another opportunity comes up but at the same time You know, treat them very nicely and hope that they want to stay. (laughs) Because that probably would have been the case. Like, even if I had another opportunity to leave for a promotion, it would have been really hard to walk away from that um, just because I had such a good rapport with that boss in terms of the working relationship. So, that was my favorite boss. And then my least favorite boss (laughs) was the one that I quit uh, most recently to take my business full time. And I guess the biggest thing I took from him was to to what not to do was, um, kind of just the opposite. Like really everything that my favorite boss was like, he was not, um, you know, micromanager and, um, you know, didn't really acknowledge when I went above and beyond and kind of took credit for my work sometimes. Um, and overall just didn't it felt like he was working for the company instead of like, it felt like he wasn't on my side, if that made sense. Um, you know, on all my evals I had exceeds expectations, but yet wasn't getting the raises and the promotions as promised. Um, and so for all those reasons, it made it easier to want to pursue my business full time. And I think, um, I'm a believer. So I feel like that was really God, like pushing me out of like the corporate structure that I was in, um, and into kind of entrepreneurship because, if I had been stuck at the job that I got laid off from, or not stuck, if I had never got laid off from that job, I probably would have stayed just out of pure comfort. So I think everything happens for a reason. Um, So I definitely learned a lot from him, even if at the time, it was not the most fun to work for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really interesting. Like I've had some clients in the past that I guarantee they don't listen to this podcast, but (laughs) where I have literally had to say, listen, you're at a crossroads with your employee right now. They're either going to talk about you at the dinner table of like, I had this boss and she was amazing and she set me up for success and she was kind, even when times were hard, or they're going to talk about you at the Thanksgiving table and be like, I had this nightmare boss, or on this podcast, and and they made me want to quit my job and start my own business, and you know, like yeah. they never fulfilled on their promises. They didn't do what they said they were going to do, and like actually say, like this is a choice that you have to make in this moment with your team member. And I think that we forget that we have that type of impact on the people that we employ. And so now, as a leader, you know, we'll dive into that a little bit and how that's informed your philosophy as a leader. But I think it's important that everybody just understands that even as a team lead or as a manager, or as an HR person that's in between like on the corporate side or the team side or in corporate or in small business or entrepreneurship with a team of three or four people or less, like the impact that you make is long lasting. I mean, the whether it's good or bad and you get to decide every day, it's not going to be about the news that they deliver, which is a great example mm-hmm. from your. Boss, that you had that was great. He laid you off. Like you'd think, oh well, I had no hope of making an impact. But we do every single day. We make an impact on people and the decisions that they make. And I used to have this goal that was, I want to keep everyone. And I have yeah of an employee that's worked for me for ten years. One that's worked for me for eight. One that's worked for me for four. And then for Paradigm, Kylie's been with me for two, and plus change. Like out of a three-year business, it's like she basically like started this thing with me. You know. And my goal changed over the years to, I don't really know if I'll be a place where people will land forever, but, oh, this company will be, but I just want everyone to leave on good terms and I want to be able to text them and call them because that's not always something as a manager early on that I was able to do. Like it was, I thought it was out of my control to create an environment where no matter what happens, like if they quit, that was it. So I think that we need to reframe that a little bit as we're changing the way that work culture is, and especially as entrepreneurs and building small teams. Like, it's not about keeping people on your team forever. It's about keeping them as long as possible where the mutual benefit is there. Yeah, Um, exactly. I don't know. But in that note, let's talk a little bit about how that has informed your strategy for being a leader. So I know that you're a little earlier on in the team journey, but... -hmm. You're very intentional about, well, you're really intentional about everything. So I'm actually really curious about like breaking this down step by step, like what you did to prepare, how you how you decided to make the decision to bring someone onto your team and not only prepare on the back end, but also like how you prepared your mindset, and what are some things that you've done to take this as a serious step.
2: Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that I'm a new mom. So I have a nine month old, almost 10, almost 10 months. And (laughs) when I had him, I had very little to no help. And I think I struggle with, I had struggled with like, I need to do everything. And it's definitely something that I've been working through. And, you know, I ultimately, a lot of people don't want to have huge businesses with, you know, 50 employees or even, you know, 10 employees sometimes, you know, especially for the stage of life that I'm in with a young family and I want to have another child eventually too that, you know, it just took a lot of reflection on what I wanted the business to look like. And so it took me a while to want to make that first hire, but it came to the point where I knew I wanted to spend more time with my, with my kid, my baby. I don't, I didn't want to put him in childcare for full time hours. And so I just wanted to like, I, there's a reason why I left the nine to five and the biggest one was because of the babies and just being able to be there with them. So currently my childcare situation is I only have help for eight hours a week. So I'm very limited in my time. So because of that, I needed to get somebody to help me with the bookkeeping. And so you guys helped me onboard my first employee and she is amazing. we Click really well, even though we're on different sides of the country, it just seems to have worked really seamlessly. And I think the biggest thing I've learned in hiring is just keeping that open line of communication and, um, you know, asking for feedback regularly, touching base regularly, because I think the biggest maybe disconnect or tension when you're, you know, hiring people for the first time or bringing someone in, is just like, Mis- miscommunication seems to be the biggest, you know, hurdle. Um, so the, the biggest adjustment for me was, you know, that like staying in constant, not constant, but regular communication with somebody because prior to that I was kind of a one man show and I, you know, worked when I was able to, you know, sometimes during nap times or, um, when I go to the gym and I don't work out, I just put my child in daycare and I go chill in the cafe and have a coffee. <laughs> um, so it's just been a big adjustment, and the the one thing I had to really ask myself was what I want the business to look like. And I did want to grow the business, even though I have you know a young child, and I want to you know get pregnant again. I want to take that time off for maternity leave, and you know because of that, um, I needed the support. And also, you know, I think as employers or small businesses, we don't really think about you know the impact that we're able to make on our employees' you know lives. You're able to provide jobs and things like that. Um, And so we're actually going to be hiring another person here pretty soon that I'm really excited for. And this person is hopefully going to be a local person. And so I'm excited to kind of be able to connect co-work and, you know, be able to have that like connection with somebody in in person. So that is pretty exciting too, even though we're, you know, virtual firm, I think that there's something really powerful about having, you know, community around you and that support around you. So I'm excited to start recruiting for that one.
1: Oh, that'll be fun. And I know that there's a lot of fear that goes into hiring your first employee. And I wanted to like highlight something you said. Not everybody wants to have a business of 50 people or even 10 people, but, and this is my only time I'm going to say this in this podcast. Doesn't matter if you have one employee or 20, you have to follow the same laws. So (laughs) that's where HR comes in. So, but this is not about me. This is about you. So on that (laughs) note, I want to talk, and you already knew that. I mean, we, we, communicated for so long it was really about it was less about the laws and more about making sure that you were positioning yourself in a way that was ready to take on this next step mm-hmm. um there are so many people i get questions all the time every time i'm like what should we do a podcast about they're like i know i need to hire but i'm scared and i know i need to hire but like i don't want a big business or i don't need hr our company only will have three employees or, and it's like, well, you definitely don't need HR, but you do need paradigm because we built it differently. But like, yeah. besides all that, like, can you talk a little bit about basically fix those objections for me? All <laughs> people understand that it doesn't have to be scary. Like it doesn't, like what were some of those fears that you had to overcome and how have you, now that you've had a few months under your belt, how have you kind of, seen those resolve themselves or maybe even what new fears do you have?
2: Yeah, I think you could probably argue the same thing about bookkeeping or finance. Like you don't need a whole finance department, you know, if you're a one man show, but you do need a bookkeeper, you know, or be doing the bookkeeping yourself. And, you know, sometimes there is some compliance that goes into that too. So I definitely, I understood the HR compliance side, just being in finance, because there is so, so much compliance with the accounting and whatnot. So I knew I needed, I wanted to set this up the right way. The first time I didn't want to have to do any backpedaling because I don't have time for that. (laughs) I don't want to do things twice. I want to do it right the first time. And so hiring you guys was, you know, a no brainer to help us with the HR because of the way you guys have it set up, which is, you know, for businesses of any size really. Um, but I think you guys primarily partner with smaller teams. So that was a big draw. Um, and now that I'm in the set to scale membership too, having that additional support just feels really great. Like in addition to all the resources that you guys provide, but just having that, you know, person that you can turn to because entrepreneurship can be so lonely. Sometimes I mentioned, you know, not having to talk to anybody. It, it can be a little bit lonely and just not know, you know, who to turn to. And um, sometimes your business buddies don't know all the HR compliance like you guys do. So I think, um, while I haven't really had anything recently come up per se, it's just nice to have that additional support through the membership with you guys because um I know that, you know, stuff will come up eventually. And just honestly reading other people's stories, I've learned so much in the Slack channel about like what I should probably add to my handbook. I'm like, oh yeah, that might be a good thing to add. So um yeah, I think it's it's been Really nice having that additional support even after, you know, onboarding our first person and then also having that support to make our next couple hires is um, a huge weight lifted for me. Just, you know, the amount of hours I have per week to work and just not having to worry about, you know, one less thing, which is kind of what we hear when people hire us as their bookkeeper, just not having to worry about that additional thing is feels like a huge weight lifted for me.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And I know that really does kind of answer the question about the fears, because that's really why we built Set to Scale. But also just in general, like, you don't have to do this alone. If you're listening to this, and you're like, Oh, my God, like, I don't know if I want to hire an employee, that word sounds so scary. That's so crazy, blah, blah, blah. Like, of course, it's an initial investment. But after that, like, the point is that you have this system that you can adapt to and change and fluctuate and make decisions on the fly. And you're not going to have to worry about, you know, some of those scary words that come up later, but in leading your team member over the last month, and onboarding them and getting them sorted and especially because you are a very methodical thinker you know that cpa mind is like real kicked in there um what are some things that you've learned and this is a hard question so feel free to take your time but what are some things that you've learned about yourself that surprised you in leading a new person in your business or that mindset shift
2: I think I had learned that I needed to release some of the control. I think I maybe have mentioned that earlier, but just going from doing absolutely everything myself to now trusting somebody who I know has the background expertise and is equipped to take care of my clients. But the biggest thing for me was the the people uh, and just like letting go that I wasn't going to be the one that is directly communicating with my clients anymore has been something that I'm still working through, to be honest, Mm -hmm. because I worked really hard to build relationships with my clients and I enjoy talking to them and touching base with them and seeing how they're doing in their finances and things like that. So I think the biggest thing was just learning how to let somebody come alongside me and support myself and our clients has been the biggest struggle, but at the same time, um, has been, it's honestly really beautiful. Like having, having that help, I just talked about the weight lifted, but having that internal person was a game changer. And just even talking to your employee, Kylie, like about, you know, expanding the team just makes me really excited because I am developing as a human being of you know, letting go of the control. And as a new mom, you know, you're learning, you're constantly learning new stuff about yourself. But I think the biggest thing was, you know, to let go and to trust that you, that they have the expertise that you hired them for, and that you've also trained them to like, well, and that they have the resources to fall back on should they have any questions. And, you know, you're there as well. So it's not like you're completely gone from the picture. You're just kind of stepping into a different role. Um, It's been a big adjustment, but it's been, it's been pretty seamless to be honest. And I'm like knocking on some wood because I know eventually something's going to come up, but it's been a really great experience so far.
1: You know, I just have to shout it out. Like I'm not going to use her name or anything, but I remember when we found your, not we, but when the person that found your candidate found your candidate (laughs) and then Kylie was able to like really get her hands in there and. She always reports back about like how orientations go. That was really hard for me to let go of, by the way, like not being the person on the orientation, meeting all the team members, like that was like ripping it away because I was like someone like, who's like founders that I like know so well and like talk to all the time and communicate with and care about, I like don't meet their team member sometimes, you know? Like that was, I think we all have those little things in business that you're like, wait yeah. a second, like, I am not there. Like Kylie was like, let me do it. And I was like, okay, I'll come watch you do it a couple times. And she was like, that makes it worse. <laughs> like like, she's like you can watch me once and then after that like you need to leave I got it and I like yeah. it's now been a year and a half but that's been really hard anyway um just speaking to that control I think so many people are like what is that thing in my business that I know I need to let, let go of but I don't want to but there's something about your connection with your team member that I know we're not supposed to talk about hiring like dating like I actually don't recommend that at all like those analogies about dating people and meeting them and trying things out and breaking up and whatever. I just feel like it's a little too flippant for people's livelihoods, but there is something really special about when you find that right person, you see them connect together and you start to see the chemistry and it's like, you can really tell when it's the right person. Like, I feel like it's, that's how it was with Kylie too. Like it's not like, you know, she's not my friend, she's my employee, but I care about her deeply and we have friendly qualities, but I feel like if people are hiring their first employee, like, you need that chemistry a little bit more. Like, I feel like it's hard to, like, it's a tough sell, definitely, to be like, wait for the right one. (laughs) But, like, I feel like your situation is a really great example of that. Like, it felt very seamless, like you said. Like, it felt like that chemistry was there, that relationship was there. Like, I don't don't know that that happens all the time.
2: So. I think another thing, too, with that, I think, I forget your original question, but Another thing like, that I had to get over mentally was that my employer had almost more, she does have more experience than I do in a lot of things. She, I'm younger than her. And so that was another thing, a mental block where I felt a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like I've never been a manager of somebody older than me and has technically more corporate experience, number of years of experience than I do. Um, and so that was another hurdle where I had to, you know like this is a good thing. Like my clients are going to be taken care of. Maybe she has different experience than I have, which I found out today she has experience in this other software that I've never used before that our client uses. So it was like, cool, that's great. I'm glad you're on our onboarding call today because um, she was able to speak up and say, hey, like I have experience with this, even though, you know, Meg doesn't, like our clients are more taken care of with her and it's not about me. So I guess taking your ego out of it was a big, you know, thing that I had to get over
1: oh my god yeah I know that happens to me too (laughs) I'm like okay I guess I'm the expert of my business but I'm the expert of my business as it stands right now like I'm trying to help that bubble of paradigm get bigger which means that I don't need to fit it all in my brain like we can trust other people to take on additional stuff which is it's hard but it's so necessary depending on what type of business that you want to have um yeah but stepping into your confidence as a leader has also kind of pushed you a little bit to hire this next role. So can we talk, we joke all the time. We're like, once you get one employee in there and onboarded, like it's a slippery slope, like not that you're going to have 50, but like, I feel like you can see the possibilities more of, uh, having that dedicated support. Can you talk a little bit about the the making of that decision and how, you kind of came to the conclude. I think I have a feeling how, but came to that conclusion that it was time or getting close to time to, to hire somebody in that second role.
2: Yeah, so funny enough, when we onboarded our first employee, you kind of wrote out our progression and now we're like literally doing that same progression. So our next hire is going to be more operations and marketing support to help alleviate some of the administrative tasks that I'm doing. And, um, I think a lot of mistakes that I see people make when it comes to hiring is especially, you know, female service-based entrepreneurs in the online space hire a lot of contractors to help them, you know, with their social media or, you know, an OBM and things like that. And while those people are really helpful and supportive, they're really costly and they're also serving a lot of different businesses. And for some of my clients, like it's not necessarily sustainable for them, but maybe a part-time employee is, and they're able to do a lot more for them for potentially less money. Although there is the compliance side that you're having to deal with when you have an employee, payroll taxes, things like that. But I think a lot of people think it's a lot more expensive to have employees, but oftentimes it's more expensive to have a team of contractors. And also, you know, you're not building uh, that team culture, which is what we are wanting to build um like having the local I actually met with a client yesterday in person and she was she has a lot of local employees and she's like oh yeah every December we have a slumber party and I was like I want to have slumber parties with my with my team like we get in pjs and like watch Christmas movies or whatever like that sounds so cool um that they do that once a year as like a team a team not necessarily sleepover but um you know they like hang out in their pjs type thing um, and so I think there's something really powerful about, you know, moving the, t- the business forward with having internal support, um, along, maybe you do have some contractors in there too, as well. But for us, it just made the most sense for our next hire to be internal and help with our operations, because that's where I'm spending a lot of my time now that I w- was able to offload, you know, more client work to our first employee, um, now we're kind of able to, start start scaling a little bit more by getting uh, offboarding some of those admin tasks.
1: Yeah. And I might be setting you up to complement my impeccable <laughs> uh, pixel ball work here. But when it comes to deciding who you need for your business, and you see the back end of a lot of businesses too. So like, feel free to talk about that experience as well. But what do you think is are some of the things that you thought about when you decided that this person needed, the first person needed to be a bookkeeper. Cause you already knew that when we were working together, it was like, I need a bookkeeper. I need to get rid of some of this fulfillment. Like it's going to be hard, but I know that's what I need. What are some of the things that are questions you ask yourself as you're deciding who should be the next hire, or even as you're looking at other clients businesses, like where do people go? What should they ask themselves? What should they think about when they're making those decisions?
2: Yeah, I mean for us it came down to, you know, what tasks do I not want to do and or what tasks are not getting done that I want to get done. So things like blogs or, you know, sending client proposals or making sure invoices are getting paid, things like that are things that I don't necessarily need to have my hand on. I can, you know, train someone to help support me and it just goes back to just not having enough hours in the day for me or in the, in a the week without childcare. <laughs> so, where am I spending the most the most of my time? And it for me or, you know, what part of my business is getting neglected that I really want to, you know, level up, like my email list, things like that that are not that are getting neglected currently. I'm, you know, hoping to bring someone in and train them to make to I guess bring that to life. So, either, you know, where are where's all your time going? Or what, like, what do you want to bring to life that you're not able to do on your own, but could do with the help of an employee?
1: Yeah, that's a really good I mean, I think that I struggle just as much as any other business owner with control. And so sometimes letting certain elements of things that I've decided are part of my routine go have been really hard, but also really necessary because I think we forget that when we're shedding some of these tasks that other people can do, it's really creating space for something bigger, better, more fulfilling, more interesting, and stretching us to grow a little bit, Um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of, well, depending on your priorities, it's kind of the point, right? Like we want to be fulfilled by our business every day, even if, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously we want to make money too, but I think that's what keeps us going. Um, So let's talk a little bit about when you became a mom. So I think this is something that's really relatable. Um, It's something that is in the near future for me, probably, hopefully. Um, I want to talk about what made you feel like, tell me a little bit about that experience of being a mom as an entrepreneur. Those struggles are so different from just like the traditional corporate mom life and stuff like that. And what have you experienced there? What do you want other entrepreneurs to know?
2: Yeah. I think my background, I was always like a hustler. Like I always had a job. I always was working. Even in college, I had a full-time job. And so, you know, when motherhood came about, I'm like, I could just power through it. Like I've, you know, worked 80 hour weeks in public accounting. I can, you know, do this business and be a mom at the same time. And ultimately, what I've learned over the past couple of months is to just be really intentional with you know, what you're doing and when you're doing it and ask for help. So, you know, mother-in-law, mom, can you come help me? Sister, whoever you have nearby, you know, really taking advantage of them because oftentimes they want to help, but they just don't know that you need it or that you want the help. So reaching out for help, ha- hiring, you know, at least some part-time care, because really I am, when I'm with my kid, I want to be with my kid I don't want to be on my laptop especially now that he's crawling and he smacks his hands everywhere so sometimes (laughs) I'll like accidentally send an email I'm like okay this is this is not working but I think at first I really tried to power through and just like do what I always did and it's just life is a lot different now and so really creating that separation between you know business time and mommy time and um setting solid boundaries for yourself, it's really easy to work when the baby goes to sleep at 630. I'm like, well, now I can go work for a couple hours, but setting the boundary of, you know, I'm only going to do that once a week or, you know, during our busy season or whatever it may be has really been something that I've been working towards over the past couple months and I've gotten better at. Um, but I highly recommend creating that separation and not trying to work, even though it's just a baby, maybe they don't remember, maybe they're not you know, maybe they're just a potato right now. But, you know, just taking that time to rest when they're really little with something that I didn't do that I am being really intentional with with my next one, especially knowing that I'm gonna have probably a toddler or a full on child that is running around.
1: (laughs) A full on child. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really good advice. One of my friends told me When I was building, trying to figure out better boundaries and not working, you know, crazy hours and stuff like that, she was like, if you had a kid in your ideal life, like, would you be cool with taking that client call when you were planning to be off? Like, if you had to go deal with your kid, like, would you be cool with that client's call running an hour over? Like, think about it like that. And weirdly, that has kind of been part of the preparation process for me for getting ready, hopefully, to be a mom is like why is it so much more important for me to think about it for someone else than it is for me? But that has worked. Yeah. Like to be like, I can close my laptop now because it's 530. And if I had a kid, I would close my laptop. So like, why is that more important? I don't know. But it's a good way to like trick your women brain, I guess, into like making sure you're prioritizing yourself. She also said something about intentionality too, which I think you kind of touched on, but I'd love to hear your views on you said you have childcare for eight hours a week and you're pretty creative with the rest of your time.
2: So how
1: do you, how do you plan for those eight hours? Like, do you plan them? Or are you like, this is when I get to take a deep breath or like, what's your approach to maximizing your focus time?
2: Yeah. So I always look at my calendar on usually Sunday nights. I kind of map out what my week's going to look like. Um, I do take advantage of the gym at my daycare, like one or two days a week for like work only. Um, and you know, that time he's get, getting to play with other kids and stuff too. So I don't feel like, you know, guilty cause he's has t- caretakers who are taking care of him. Uh, but every Sunday night I make my schedule for the week and I time block out what I'm going to be working on. Sometimes if I have a heavier week of meetings and stuff and I need additional help, I'll text my mom and say, do you want to come up <laughs> on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it may be? And she's always happy to help, which is really nice. Um, and then. Yeah, so I guess just taking a look at the calendar week week by week is kind of how I've been doing it and it's been working so far.
1: Yeah, that's good I
2: feel like there's... Hey. Sorry. Hopefully cool. you can edit that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was like is that a ghost? <laughs> that's my new dog. So I have to... the sorry. I I got a package and she's like She's a Sherman Shepherd, so she's protecting us. So, mm-hmm.
1: I completely relate. I think Dixie's somewhere. Well, Dixie's always on every call, but she's like somewhere farting around here. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no worries. That was it. Just did sound like a bark. So I was like. <laughs> <We're being cautious. laughs> uh oh, being Okay, so for the last, very last thing, I know that one of the things that really piqued my interest for this conversation to kind of end it on a little bit more of a bookkeeping note. Um, what are what are some of the ways that you, and I know you help people with this too. So you have like kind of one-off services that you occasionally offer. So keep a lookout for that. Make sure you're following Meg so that you can take advantage of those, especially if you don't have somebody like her in your business. But what are some of the, what's the power of creating a financial plan in your business? Like why does it matter to do that? Why does it matter to set aside the time to plan for your finances in your business?
2: Yeah. So bookkeeping is historical. So we're looking at what happened usually last month, quarter, year, whatever time period you're looking at. But creating a financial plan or a forecast budget, people use these words interchangeably, but essentially what we do when we're creating a financial plan for an upcoming year or whatever it may be, we are going to be looking at the bookkeeping numbers. So the bookkeeping is important. um, And we're using those numbers to you know plug it into next year and figure out how how are we going to change things to where we're growing next year? And we don't just have a rinse and repeat of what's happened for the last, you know, three years, which is sometimes where our clients are, they're feeling very stagnant and they don't really know how to change things. And I just had two of these calls actually yesterday where we did a full financial plan for 2024. And sometimes it's hard to face the numbers because it's like, well, X plus Y equals Z if you want to pay yourself or X minus Y equals Z x is your revenue minus your expenses is your profit. And so, you know, we have to tweak those numbers to be able to get you to what you want z to look like. And so that's either, you know, cutting out some expenses, creating additional revenue streams, or um, sometimes it's a mix of both. Yesterday, we had a client who was planning for hiring an employee. So we were adding some expenses to her PL, and And we were also adding revenue because she was able to take on a lot more clients. So The biggest difference between doing your bookkeeping and creating a budget or a financial plan forecast is that you're able to set some solid metrics to work towards instead of just kind of, you know, hoping or praying or, you know, not wanting to look at your finance, your your reports from your bookkeeper from last month, because you're just kind of in, you're working in the business instead of on the business. And it's, usually a big eye opener for our clients when we do these with them. And sometimes I I was telling them, I feel like I'm of the police office. I'm like the numbers police. I'm here to like (laughs) break the truth to you that, you know, we don't, we can't just get to work less and make more money. We really have to be intentional with like how we're going to be able to make more money and work less. And usually that's through investing in a team and you're taking on additional responsibilities, like managing people, but, you know, adding people to your team, just, gives you so much more freedom to do so many other things in your business instead of just, you know, strictly client work.
1: Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's always so encouraging to have someone that does have a small team that is acting on that because I think that we think, Oh, well, if I really am going to measure capacity, if I'm really going to plan for the next year, I have to be one of those businesses that has like five or six people on their team that are just doing deliverables or whatever, especially in service-based business. And it's like, no, like, one person on your team put into the right position in the right seat at the right time can triple your revenue if you're doing it strategically. But if you don't plan for those finances, then you're not going to get there. That's a huge lesson that I've learned over the years. Like if you're just willy nilly throwing stuff at the wall, then you're not yeah. going to get to those goals because you haven't really identified what they are. So, um, yeah. outside of that, how often do you offer those? I mean, I know you just went through a batch recently where you were kind of doing these intensives, but, and they're kind of fewer and far between, but you do offer them occasionally. So for those listening that may have missed this round, um, how often can we look for those types of opportunities from you?
2: Yeah, so we do a push usually in Q4 to, you know, promote for the upcoming year. So we'll, you know, right now we're doing 2024 financial plans and we'll be offering those through the end of January just depending on how many spots we have left. But um that's just usually when people are, you know, new year, they want to create this their new year's goal and kind of it's just usually when most people are interested in creating their financial plan. So we usually push them in Q4. However, you know, if somebody were to be interested in doing it mid-year, I don't think that there's any, you know, you have to wait until the end of the year or the beginning of the year. Really, you can do this at any time. And um, depending on when this podcast comes out, we might have a tool like a do-it-yourself tool where you can, um, you know, do your own financial plan in a Google sheet. So go ahead and go to our Instagram and the link in the bio probably will have that tool for you.
1: Oh, cool. That's awesome. And I know this could be something super valuable if you're listening to this podcast and you've been motivated to think about taking that step for hiring. I love when we have clients that come in and they're like, I talked to my money person and I'm ready to do this thing, you know, so definitely reach out to Meg. I'm sure that there are going to be opportunities for you to get some clarity there. Um, we will help you in- initiate on it, but we will not help you make your money decisions. <laughs> so keep in mind that you need somebody like Meg in your corner. So we'll link everything below, but how how best can people reach out to you? What is your preferred method of chatting in the DMs or you know on LinkedIn or what is your kind of like vibe when it comes to meeting new people or meeting new connections from the pod?
2: Yeah, our Instagram is our primary way to reach out to us. So it's at BornTerome Bookkeeping. And that's the best way to send us a DM and we'd love to connect with you.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for being here. I feel like we could talk forever, but I have my eye on the clock. So, Um, (laughs) but on that note, please, please, please make sure that you leave us a review. Let us know in the comments or in the reviews what you learned from Meg today. And I'd love to also make sure that you are all following her. So check all the links in the show notes to make sure that you're getting access to all that good stuff this will release in january so it should be setting everybody up for a great year ahead especially when it comes to finances but i cannot stress enough how important it is to have a financial person on your side a bookkeeper somebody that has cpa knowledge sounds like it could be a great fit (laughs) but it truly has made such a massive difference for me so i look forward to you all all you listeners meeting meg and chatting with her more but thanks for
0: listening If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review On the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.